Well, good morning. Uh, those are great. I don't, if you don't know, we don't go out and get those. Those are made here by our worship leaders and our tech team and um, really cool and just setting us up in preparation for um, God's Word in these sermon series. Um, so I, I love those. Uh, so here we are, 4th of July, uh, Happy Independence Day, especially to those of you who were uh, practicing last night with fireworks like right outside my window. Um, so that was fun. Uh, but hey, we're, we made it. Um, this, this morning takes us just past halfway through our series in Nehemiah, Rebuilding After Brokenness. Um, and if we had to pause and just kind of think about and answer, what is, what is the book of Nehemiah about? What's Nehemiah about? You could say Nehemiah, I think I heard it somewhere, right? There's some cool things happening, um, but it's about a wall, right? We have the book of Nehemiah because of this wall. The wall is, is everything. Um, and, and with that being the case, I, I was thinking through this week about how we use walls and define them. And I think it's helpful to just think for a second um, about the significance of what is taking place, what's being built, what's at stake with this wall. Uh, I grew up and the epic stories and battles with swords and things were always so interesting. Um, and I read, you know, those little books where they show like a castle, right? And safety was in the wall. And so there's the Great Wall of China and there's armies and there's forts and all this stuff. And, and so it, it might be easy to just think of a wall as something that keeps people out, right? You have a barrier, people on one side, people on the other, and that's the purpose of a wall. And it can be that. Uh, but we don't really use them that way so much anymore, right? We don't do our wars based off of who has the biggest wall. So how else do we use them? Well, part of uh, the purpose of a wall is for identity. Um, as the ushers come forward, if you guys need a Bible this morning, go ahead and put your hand up and they'll, they'll get you one of those. Um, but, a, but a wall can give some identity. So we have this type of a room over here and we put some walls and that makes this room different than another room. They have different purposes, different uses, and they're separated in that way. And you use one at one time and one at another time. Um, and uh, there's another one. I was, I was sitting outside kind of working on this this week and, and just looking at all the things we do on, on top of our buildings. And so one way that a wall is really useful is actually for what it's holding up. Uh, sometimes our best advertisements, the most interesting part of a building might be up really high. And so we build a wall and on top of that goes the roof or the advertisement or, you know, the millionaire's tennis court or whatever. But these things go up high and they go on top of a wall. It can't be there without that. And it's what we can use to make things taller. And so um, I think that's helpful in considering this. And, and we actually brought a few pictures this morning. I wanted to show just to come back to and, and get our minds thinking about what is taking place. So this is one you might have seen before. This is famous. This is in Jerusalem. This is the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Uh, so you can see the little tiny people at the bottom. Uh, those are life-size people. And the wall goes way up. Right, this thing is huge. Um, it goes 
uh, all the way across this courtyard. So if you ever make it to Jerusalem, if you, if you do one of the trips uh, that North Shore will lead occasionally, this is one of the coolest places to visit where you can go up to and, and see where people um, are, are praying. Uh, there's spots where people have inserted written prayers into the wall. Um, and it is this massive, massive structure. And there are parts... There's a, a couple places in particular where you can actually walk up and they've excavated a little bit and you can see how much even further down the wall goes. This thing was enormous and it's still standing one part of the wall in Jerusalem to this day. However, um, on this next picture, what we were just looking at is that bold section right there. So you've got that block off to the right. It says Western parentheses wailing wall right next to the pink and yellow. That's what we were looking at, that little tiny bold strip. That was the wall um, that still stands. It was just one part of this square, this giant temple mount. And that's what's remaining where people can actually go up to today. And so if you go forward one more picture, there's this really, really cool life-size model of the old city of Jerusalem. So again, it would have been that back kind of top left corner of the temple over there. That's what is uh, able to walk up to right now. Um, but you can see the big structure and then a secondary wall that goes all the way around the city. And so that right there is the temple. That was one of the most important things that happened in all of the Old Testament was this idea of the presence of God being with the people of God in a specific location and that happened to be Jerusalem. So this is very, very important as we consider a wall because part of what they were doing was building up, magnifying, putting on display the glory of God. It wasn't only to keep people out, although there is an element of safety in a wall, but the tallest wall was actually just to hold up the temple. They built this giant area just to put a temple on top of it. Um, and if you haven't been, so Jerusalem itself is on a hill. So think about our stage. Down here, all you guys, we're the rest of Israel. Okay, so this, the neighboring towns, you can be Bethlehem, you can be Galilee, pick your favorite Jerusalem uh, favorite Israelite city, that's you guys. Then Jerusalem itself was on a hill. Then on that hill, they built something to make it taller. Then on that something they built to make it taller, they built the tallest building anyone could see. Wherever you were, if you looked towards Jerusalem, you would see the temple of God for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It was enormous. And in Nehemiah, Jerusalem is in ruins. Parts of the wall, large parts of the wall are broken. They haven't been repaired. There's gaps. There's no gates. And so this thing was massive. It was an incredible project and it had to be done. We've seen in different parts of this series throughout the book of Nehemiah in the earlier chapters, this was really important to Nehemiah. This was special to him. Not just to have a wall, just to have a wall, but we saw in his prayer in chapter one, um, as, as Mark began this series for us, 
This was special to Nehemiah. He was on mission for God. This was important because the temple and the city of Jerusalem was supposed to display the greatness of God. And when the city was broken, the reputation of God was damaged and Nehemiah was on a mission. Have you ever been on mission for God? Whether that's being part in a specific ministry or your mission is your coworkers or some project that you've been part of, it's awesome to be on mission for God. It's humbling, it's rewarding, it's fulfilling. And it also comes with some resistance. And so in this part of the story, as we come to Nehemiah chapter six, we see for the third time that Nehemiah is dealing with resistance. In this case, it's uh, threats and personal harm. So here we are this morning. I'm gonna read right now the first nine verses of Nehemiah chapter six. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. Now notice that's in there on purpose, um, an unsealed letter given to the king. This is essentially open gossip, unsealed. Anyone could read it, anyone might have already read it. In which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. Verse eight, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah dealing with resistance, and if you've been with us for some Sundays, this is not the first time, this has happened before. The same three guys in particular and their, uh, their friends come against Nehemiah time and time again to just make life more difficult. Um, it, it reminded me of a, kind of a story I experienced and told a number of years back. I think I've shared different parts before, but I, I ran cross country and track for a while and that included into college. And um, uh, part of my story in running at college was being hurt like, like a lot, <laughs> like all the time. Kind of a full-time job being in the training room, trying to get unhurt. Um, and just weird things were happening. We were doing just sprints one day and I hurt my shoulder. 
uh, and our head athletic trainer made fun of me for weeks. Every time he saw me, oh, yeah, you hurt your shoulder running. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I didn't know. Uh, was hurt all of the time. That's not the point. The point is, I was telling this part of my story to uh, some coworkers in my first ministry job. So just finished, you know, done running, um, and I was uh, working at a, uh, another church, different part of the state, and I was sharing some of this. We were just talking about our life, and I talked about running and, and going to school and how hard it was. And I got asked a question that, that surprised me um, from my, my supervisor at the time. They, they asked if I had ever considered that that was a sign from God to quit uh, because things just seemed like they weren't going well. And it wasn't the question I was expecting and had to sit with that for a minute. I was only 22 and, and this was, you know, one of my leaders and I was like, maybe that is how that works. But it didn't, it didn't ever sit right um, and had to wrestle with that for a while and eventually came back to say something that really had been true for me throughout college um, and, and it kind of came back to this question of where is the verse in the Bible where God will make it abundantly clear that you should quit something by making it very difficult? Where's the verse that said, and then God threw a bunch of challenges so you should know it's time to move on? I didn't know of that verse. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Um, and actually, I believed the exact opposite. For me, it just, it just simply changed the objectives from you know, personal success that I wasn't ever going to be able to achieve being that injured to just different things, being faithful with the opportunities there and different types of relationships. Um, and, and my job in that season was to stick it out. And in fact, I was thinking about that this week. This is, I just typed in, I did a Google search. When does God say you should give up? And here's what I found. This kind of fascinated me. This was just a really well-compiled blog. That's kind of small, but a bunch of verses popped up, right? So I'm asking the internet, when does God say you should give up? And here's what I found. 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This has become one of my favorite verses. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And on and on and on it goes. That was just the one screenshot that would fit. There were so many more. I think God is the God of uh, not providing an obstacle as a sign that you should quit. And this takes us back to Nehemiah 6, when he faces yet again and some of his most serious opposition of the entire thing. It's dangerous, it's persistent, it's at this point got to be incredibly annoying, and yet Nehemiah does not give up. Nehemiah 
keeps going. We'll read one more paragraph of, of an example like this. Uh, so, so still Nehemiah 6, verse 10 through 14. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of another guy, uh, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. Why do people oppose God's work? Have you ever wondered that? And I'm, I'm not talking about like having hard hours or your car won't start or just troubles. But, why, but when people actively, with their words and actions, seek to stop or oppose the work of God, when other people trying to prevent you, or in this case, Nehemiah, from doing what you think God has called you to do. And at this point, it's even getting ridiculous. This is almost movie-like. It's like, hey, some people are coming to kill you. Let's go hide in that empty building. This is crazy. People are just trying everything they can to stop Nehemiah from building a wall. Why does that happen? Obviously, there's a very real uh, spiritual enemy who does not want people to be saved into God's kingdom. I think there are some, some human components as well. There's a tangible reason um, which we're going to answer in just a second. But, but as we see through the opposition and the response of Nehemiah, I think the first call here for all of us is do not give up, especially on mission for God. Do not give up. If it gets hard, that doesn't mean the mission is wrong. If it doesn't get hard, that doesn't mean God's shutting the door. It means discernment is needed, but there's so much more in scripture that reveals that God asks, do not give up. So before we read these next two verses, there's been a mini theme in the chapter so far. Um, five times this topic comes up just here in chapter six, um, and we've read most of them, uh, but, but verse nine, the idea is fear. Verse 9, Nehemiah says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. Uh, verse 13, he had been hired to intimidate me, so I would commit a sin by doing this. And then verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, um, also the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. And then the very last verse of chapter 6, if you jump down to verse 19, and Tobiah sent letters 
to intimidate me. But watch this. Verse 15 and 16. One of the keys to the whole book of Nehemiah. I think we have this on the screen as well. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The wall was completed in 52 days. Remember the pictures. Remember how big this thing was. No modern cranes, just a bunch of broken people coming together trying to put some rocks back on top of each other. 52 days. And when the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Those who had tried to cause fear became afraid when they saw God work. I, I, I love how these, these commentaries are just compiled for us right here. 52 days shows the greatness of when people come together to work. Right? That should not have been possible. That's so fast to rebuild a wall this big. 52 days is a testimony to how great it is when people come together. Trembling nations, that shows how great it is when God works. What the people did was impressive. What God did is unique. What the people did was great. What God did was far greater. It was miraculous. They were afraid and lost their self-confidence specifically because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I think this is where the opposition comes from. Why, that, the answer to that earlier question, why would people oppose God's work? I think it starts with something simple. If God's not real, then nothing has to change. If God is not real, then I don't need a savior. I don't need any specific instructions on how to live my life. I can do whatever I want. I have no uh, authority over me. I have no accountability. If God's not real, then there are no rules. And they saw something that signified to them, God might be real. Another reason why there is opposition to God's work is people don't like dependence. How interesting that this is where we are on Independence Day. But if you've been here at all, Scott, Mark, Sanjay, the earlier chapters of Nehemiah, he is phenomenal at this. Nehemiah is just praying simple prayers before he does anything. He is dependent on God and we wrestle with that it is it is a difficult thing to become dependent or to realize we are dependent on a greater God I would argue this is one of the best realizations anyone can ever make but it can be really painful if you're with us today as a believer in Jesus Christ and you've gone through that realization, wow, can it be hard to embrace the fact that you and I are not the end of the world. 
and that there is someone greater than us, that there is someone to whom I am accountable. There is someone from whom I need saving. That's uncomfortable. And for some people, it's simply not an option. And there's opposition. For us, I think Nehemiah is a fantastic example here as he did not necessarily fight back. So many times, stop building the wall. We're going to make life hard. Don't do this. You know, we're coming after you. Nehemiah didn't really fight back. He just fought enough to say no and to continue doing his work for God. And then we see what that accomplished in the hearts of those who were after him. So again, let's kind of sum this up and put this into proper context. This is about, this was God's people working together to rebuild the church after a period of struggle. Rebuilding after brokenness, is it not? And they said it couldn't be done. They said to the people, you can't do this. There's not enough of you. You're not strong enough. You can't rebuild that wall. They said to Nehemiah, you might as well quit. What's the point? Don't do it. But he did not quit. The people did not quit. And through them, God did something unachievable. Just coming through this story, the New Testament equivalent of this, I think is found in Matthew 19, 26. I was, I was looking at what the people did and I was looking at what God accomplished through them and it just kept reminding me of this simple thing that Jesus says towards the end of his gospels. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Who knows what that was in response to? These things don't come out of thin air. Jesus was actually answering a question. So let's go back up one verse, Matthew 19, 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And it is to that that Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What have you been called into that feels impossible? What have you been called into that feels impossible? Let me give you one possibility, North Shore's mission statement, to see our communities changed through hope in Jesus, one person at a time. That is impossible. To see all of Everett, Muckleteo, Marysville, Snohomish County, all of it changed one person at a time. Do you know how many people that is? To see all of the communities changed one person at a time, that is impossible for us alone. But with God, all things are possible. What have you been called into that feels impossible? If you look out over Everett, over wherever you are, your workplace, some friend, your parents, your kids, people in need, educated atheists, and and think, I'm supposed to take part in the discipleship and restoration of broken vessels and lead them into repentance and new obedience? I can't even do that with one person. Most days, I can't even do it for myself. It can't be done. 
and you're right. And yet God did it. Don't give up. And he actually uses us to accomplish it. God did not pile up all the rocks around Jerusalem to finish the wall. And you better believe he could have. He piled up a bunch of water one time just so we could make that Prince of Egypt movie. But he didn't do the rocks himself. Nehemiah didn't even do the rocks himself. The people worked. And God worked through them. The church did that. We're part of a great rebuilding project, one that is not possible. But we're not building with dead rocks. We're building with living stones. Sanjay made reference to an awesome passage in 1 Peter, which just shows that they never forgot this moment. They never moved on from the wall. They never gave up on what God did because Peter refers to the church as living stones. We are part of a great rebuilding project and God is fully aware that what he's asked of us is impossible. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. But he is willing to help He's willing to make a way and to do the miraculous and to change the world. Um, I'd like to invite the worship team up as we um, move towards a time of response in prayer and worship. If you would bow your heads with me. God, this morning, would you, would you speak into us the confidence that comes from remembering what you are capable of. God, if we sit and just wrestle with what you've asked us to do, it is so overwhelming. Whether it's a, a huge calling, whether it's the upcoming week, whether it's today, sometimes what we want to do for you just feels hard. But God, we are so grateful that you are with us. You do things through your people that none of us can do on our own. You bring things to life. You build walls up. You make your name great again. We ask that you would do that here. Work through us. And God, as we go, bring to mind where those areas are. Ignite that calling in us to see our communities change to hope in Jesus, to disciple one another into your name. You know where that is. Push us forward when we know where that is, but it just feels too hard. It's not too hard for you. And at the end of the day, when you accomplish what only you can accomplish, we worship you for that. And we ask that you fill this place as we do that even now. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we stand together uh, as we respond this morning? And I'm going to invite um, our prayer team serving today to, to come um, up to the sides. And I always want to remind you that 
Um, you are welcome to come forward if you would like to pray, uh, whether by yourself or, or with someone. If you have some um, impossible things in your world you want to bring before a God of the impossible today, um, he is ready and waiting to meet you. Come on, let's sing together.